strong students. My name is Alan, and I'm reading the teaching text tonight. It is found in Luke chapter 6, verses 27 through 28, 32 through 36. It says, But I say to you who are listening, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. If you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. If you do good to those to whom you to whom you to whom you hope to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to receive as much again. But love your enemies, do good and lend, expecting nothing in return. Your reward will be great, and you will be children of the Most High, for he is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Yes, it is. Thank you, Alan, for sharing our teaching text. What's up, guys? Hello. This room is bigger than last time I was up here. More people. It's nice. Welcome. Welcome to students. Okay, before we get into the word, I do have one announcement. We've been making this a pattern, but we've got a lot to say. So the announcement is Daddy-Daughter Dance is happening on Friday. We're not going to make you come dance with your dads, although that would be fun. But we need people to volunteer and serve the families of our church. So this is for like Boomtown and Threshold age kids. They're going to come up here, have a date night with dad, and we need all the lovely New Song students there to serve them. So if you want to be involved in this, you can sign up on the app or the website, newsongpeople.com slash events. You're going to click register. It's going to look like you're signing up for the event. You're not. Just keep it going, and there will be a volunteer page, and then you can sign up. And then, and then, if enough of you come, it's like a new song student's party. But you're serving, but it will be a fun time. So Friday night, that sounds like a good plan, so you guys should be there. All right, we're going to jump into the word. Over the last few weeks, we have been in a series on relationships. That graphic, the together, it's super cute. I love it, Jackson. The video, amazing, hands in, woo. Uh, but this is an important series because so much of our life as Christians and as believers revolves around our relationships with others. It revolves around like our communication, how we talk to people, how we live in unity with others, um, because we're image bearers and we're called to look like God in our relationships. So this might be a romantic relationship, it might be a family relationship, a parent relationship, or a friendly relationship, whatever it is, our relationships are meant to image Christ. And so this is important to us. It should be important to us. And so I'm glad that we're doing this series. But we're going to backtrack. Week one, we covered the fruit of our discipleship. And Pastor Jackson shared a great word about our love for others and how there's a direct correlation to how we love others and how we love God. Like they go hand in hand. The fruit of our discipleship should be that as we sit with Jesus more and as we sit in his love more, we begin to express love for others more. That creates unity and togetherness. And it helps us to see what our relationships should look like in a godly way. 
And then last week, we covered an amazing topic. It was about submission, which is not what I expected from your average relationship series, but it was so good. And we talked about how unity requires submission. We got some really good language and definitions for that. And we mainly discussed, like, authority and our parents and our submission to them, but ultimately our submission to God and how we can live in unity with people above us because it stems from our unity with the Father. And tonight, we're covering relationships with difficult people. Mm -hmm. Yep. Okay, so when we read the teaching text, I'm sure you read it. It's all about loving people who maybe don't love you back, who maybe hurt you, who maybe you don't feel like loving. Those people who are harder to love in our own terms, those people that are difficult. And even further, we're going to talk about how do we cultivate meaningful relationships with people that we don't feel in common to, or even with those that have hurt us in the past. As I mentioned, difficult people tonight, I know that all of us are picturing something different in our minds. And for some of us, it's like a friend that gets on our nerves. We're like, that's a difficult person. Or it's our parents, or it's um, a person at school, a teacher maybe. And then I'm very aware that for some of us, it's someone who has deeply hurt us and really wronged us in life. Um, but whatever level of difficult that you face, whatever person is coming to your mind, or whoever you will face in the future, Jesus calls us into godly relationship with each one of these people. And so in order to better understand such a thing, we're going to look at the life of Jesus. Just so you know, if you don't understand something, this is a good place to start. He probably has an answer. He probably lived it out. And we're called to practice this way. So I have three types of difficult people. Three stories where Jesus encountered the same situations with the same kind of people. And before I get into the meat of the message, I just want to note that this isn't like our typical three points, write it down type of sermon. But it's more broken into three sections with three stories. And really what my goal for tonight is, is that the Holy Spirit would speak to each one of us individually in possibly a different way. So we're going to read the stories of Jesus. We're going to look at what he did, what he has to say. We're going to look at the whole of scripture, and then we're going to ask the Lord to reveal to us what we need to personally take away tonight. Does that sound good? Sounds good? Okay, let me pray, and then we'll jump into it. Lord, I just thank you for this day. I thank you for our students, God. I thank you for each person that you've put in the room tonight, for every chair that is filled. Lord, I just ask that none of my words would be wasted today, that every word would be meaningfully placed by your spirit, Lord. And that you would come and speak through me. But more than that, Lord, you would just speak to us and give us revelation. You would help us all take away things tonight that will mend relationships, that will encourage new relationships, and that will help us express your love in a deeper and greater way. We love you, Lord. We say, come Holy Spirit, have your way. And it's in your name that we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. So our first story tonight is going to be a scenario where Jesus pursued meaningful relationship with someone who would he would not have typically related to, or someone that maybe wasn't in his social group. I know that a lot of us experience those kind of people on a daily basis. Um, so the first section that we're going to look at tonight, you can title it if you want to, and it's going to be called Get Low, Loving Those Who Don't Relate to You. Loving those who you don't relate to. I'm going to pull this back really fast. I feel like I'm going to fall off. 
There we go. Okay. I bet the first week whenever we heard the message about loving those around us and loving our neighbors that most of us walked away with an understanding of like, oh, I'm going to love my family better. I'm going to love my friends better. Those people that love me back, I'm going to love them better. And while that is important, this call also extends to people that we typically would avoid. People that we might have to go out of our way to find ourselves in relationship with or find ourselves in conversation with. So we're going to turn to John chapter 4, if you have your Bibles, or you can do it on your phone, or you can follow on the screen. But in John chapter 4, we find a story about a Samaritan woman and the interaction that Jesus shares with her. You may also know this story as the woman at the well. It's a popular one. If you were at Love His, any girls in the room? Larissa did, yeah, it was so good. Larissa did a really good job at breaking this down. Don't raise your hand. You were not there. No boys allowed. Anyway, Larissa did such a good job at breaking this story down and giving us kind of a picture of what Jesus was dealing with here. So I'm going to try to mimic that tonight. But first, we're going to read the story. And it's pretty long, so let's all stay connected. And then we're going to break it down. We're going to take a closer look at what's going on here. Okay, John chapter 4, starting at verse 3 all the way to verse 27. It says, He left Judea and started back to Galilee, but he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a Samarian city near the plot of ground that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired out by his journey, was sitting by the well. It was about noon. A Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. His disciples had gone to the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask a drink of me, a woman of Samaria? Jews do not share things in common with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have no bucket, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our ancestor Jacob, who gave us the well and with his son and his flocks drank from it? Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but those who drink of the water that I will give them will never be thirsty. The water that I will give will become in them a spring of water gushing up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I may never be thirsty or have to keep coming back to draw water. Jesus said to her, go, call your husband and come back. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you are right in saying that I have no husband, for you have five husbands. And the one you have now is not your husband. What you have said is true. Congrats, nailed it. The woman said to him, sir, I see that you are a prophet. She's like, mm, <laughs> I see that you know more than you should. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you say that the place where people must worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know. For salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father seeks such as these to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming who is called Christ. When he comes, he will proclaim all things to us. Jesus said to her, I am he, the one who is speaking to you. Just then his disciples came, and they were astonished that he was speaking with a woman. Ooh. 
A couple significant things are happening here. First, we notice that Jesus has physically gone out of his way to enter this city. So basically, he's coming from a place called Beyond the Jordan, and he's going up to Galilee. And Jewish people and Samaritans did not interact. They were not friends. They did not like each other. And so typically, they kind of had carved out this own path where they would go this way, and the Samaritan city was over here. So it could meet in the middle, but he wouldn't have just gone on this way. In fact, no Jewish man, no rabbi, no one like him, no one in his social group or his cultural realm would have chosen to take this way. But Jesus goes out of his way to go and be with her. So not only is he close by physical measure, and he's with someone that he wouldn't necessarily have run into, but we see also that he is beginning to converse with her. And in verse 9, she even starts to wonder. She's like, what is going on? And she says, how is it that you, a Jew, ask a drink of me, a woman of Samaria? And then my Bible finds it important to note in parentheses that Jews do not share things in common with Samaritans. So not only has Jesus physically gone out of his way, but now he's beginning to cross some of those invisible divides that we experience, such as social groups, economic classes, racial and cultural differences, and overall just personal interests are obviously at different here. I had in my mind when writing this, like when you're at school and there's sporty people and then the band people, I don't know if you guys' schools are like this, but when I was in high school, those two, they just, they didn't, they didn't collide. In fact, the sports classrooms were on one side of the school and the band classroom was on the whole other side of the school and my school is like two miles wide. So there's just no way you're running into them. And then even on Friday nights, we're all in the same place. I was a cheerleader. I wasn't on band. Would have been cool. But they're like in the stands and we're on the ground and nope, no interaction, no speaking to them. So it's kind of like that. It's, there's a big divide here, personal interest, social, cultural, all the things are happening. But if you took that like times level 10,000, because rabbis in Jesus's day, which is what he was, they didn't speak to women at all. I have a quote here from Barclay, it should be on the screen, but it says, the strict rabbis forbade a rabbi to greet a woman in public. A rabbi might not even speak to his own wife or daughter or sister in public. Get this. There were even Pharisees who were called the bruised and bleeding Pharisees because they shut their eyes when they saw a woman on the street and would walk into walls and houses. So these guys are like really trying to avoid women of all kind, okay? They're like bloodying their faces, walking into buildings. Crazy. So obviously, this is not a person that would have just wandered their way into the path of Jesus and been like, oh, here I am. This is very unusual. And furthermore, we keep looking down the text and we keep finding things that are not common when he brings up a sin issue. We all know Jesus didn't sin. He was perfect. And so this is another divide that they're having. He brings up this sin issue and he's highlighting not only is this person physically out of his way, socially and culturally out of his way, but also she is what we would consider a lost person. This is the Samaritan woman. And so Jesus has every excuse in the book to not be speaking to this woman. And he continues to talk to her and tells her the entire gospel that we just read in a four-minute life-changing conversation. So this is big importance here that Jesus is crossing a divide to meet with someone in a personal way to show them the love of God or the love of himself. And this is important to us because if I heard a story like this at New Song Students, 
my mind would be blown and my heart would be absolutely dancing if I heard one of you guys be like, I, I felt like I should go a different way to class today. And so I ran into this person who I knew I would probably run into if I went this way, this person that I never, ever talked to, that I avoid all the time. I ran into them and I just decided to start a meaningful conversation and I invited them to students tonight and here they are sitting next to me. My jaw would be like, what? That is so cool. That is so amazing. And I think why I would be so stunned is because the ability to cross divides and share life with people that don't fit in the classic box of our chosen community is kind of a lost art. Like there's so many people in our environments, in our schools, on our sports teams, in students. Like this room is full of people. You could go through the entire night of New Song students without talking to an entire group of people. And so I think we just get comfortable and we get convenient and we stick to what we want and we just leave it that way. And we don't leave room for crossing the divides and sharing the love of God with other people. And it's, it's more rare than it should be. And I lump myself into this because I'm not great at creating conversations with people that I don't find common ground with. Now, at least at students, I know that if you're here, we can talk about Jesus. If we're out there and I run out of things to say, I'm probably going to be like, what's God doing in your life, you know? And you'll, you'll have an answer, hopefully. Um, but I'm not the best at talking to just random people. My fiance, Luke, he's so good at this, so good at this. In fact, the other night we're in the car and this random man, never seen him before, didn't know he exists, calls Luke to share the craziest story of all time. It's like 9 p.m. It's like a traumatic but kind of funny, horrible story. And this person, I can tell, has established some sort of relationship with him, even though they literally have nothing in common. And I was like, what, who is this guy? Like, I need the backstory. And he's like, he worked at an aquatic center. And I went to the gym there, and one day I just invited him to church because I felt like God told me to, and now they're, like, friends. Like, he lives in a whole different state, and I was like, oh, my gosh, I need to get better at this. So how did Jesus do it? How did Jesus do it? Looking back at the teaching text in Luke 6, 36, it says, be merciful just as your Father is merciful. There's some underlying motives here, and what it's saying is that The secret to being filled with mercy is to look at your father. Be merciful just as your father is merciful. And just one chapter after this story, when Jesus is asked about his authority, he says, in John 5, 19, he says, Very truly, I tell you, the son can do nothing on his own, but only what he sees the father doing. For whatever the father does, the son does likewise. The father loves the son and shows him all that he himself is doing. And he will show him greater works than these so that you will be astonished. Jesus is saying, how do I perform miracles? How do I speak to everyone? How do I know exactly what's taking place in the moment? How do I break the cultural rules? How how do I do these things? It's because I look at the father. I see what he's doing. I listen to what he's saying. And since I am his son out of love, he will show me and I will do. When it comes to going out of our way to love others, the Father is telling us to prioritize God's will over our own will. We all have a will, okay? If you don't know what a will is, it's basically just the things that you want. Like, you have a will. And having a will is not sinful. It was how we were made. It's human nature. We all have a will. In fact, we use our free will to choose Jesus. It's a good thing. We all have a will. And since Jesus stepped into human skin and he had a mind and a body and a heart, then he also had a will. 
So there's not, we're not looking at this and saying Jesus was able to do these things because he was the son of God, because he was God. But we're looking at this and seeing that Jesus had a will, but he just chose to submit it to the father. So when we look at Jesus in this, this is not one of those things that only God can do. This is one of those things that the sons of God can do or the daughters of God can do. And it applies to us. In that teaching text, it says that we are the children of the most high, which means we are the sons and the daughters of God. Therefore, we can look at the father. We can sit with him in secret places. We can talk to him. We can listen to him. We can study his word like we're doing tonight. We can watch his every move, and we can do what the Father does, and we can say what the Father says. We can practice the way of Jesus in this. Jesus submitted himself to the Father. It's like we talked about last week, and this is where that comes into play. If we keep reading the product of this encounter, it's not just that the Samaritan woman feels the love of God, although that would have been enough. Like if every person I ever come into contact with feels the love of God, that that's great. That's enough. But the reality is that an entire city was saved and starts following Jesus after this. John 4:39 says, Many Samaritans from that city believed in him because of the woman's testimony. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, It is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is truly the Savior of the world. So from one encounter with Jesus, who went out of his way, who crossed all the divides, who didn't use a single excuse, these people begin to follow Jesus. They get close to him, and they now have their own account, and they believe for themselves. In Romans 2, it says that, the, that God's loving kindness leads to repentance. So when we share in a relationship that brings forward the love of God, this can happen. This is like most likely to happen. This is the result. In this scenario, Jesus is calling us outside of comfort and convenience and asking us to put a priority on eternal desires over momentary desires, on God's will over our own. In the next section of difficult people who are to be loved by us, Jesus carries a similar theme. You're going to notice when you read the gospel, Jesus, he's doing the same thing over and over. But he chooses the Father's will over his own, and he gets even lower than loving someone out of his way, and we see him loving his enemies. So this is section two, and it's called Get Lower, Loving Your Enemies. So first we were getting low, we're loving people we don't relate to, and now we're getting lower, and we're loving our enemies. I know that word enemy sounds so intense. Like you might be thinking, who is my enemy? I remember watching Disney movies in like 2010-ish, and they would always use the word enemy in the show. Or they even had like this frenemies. I don't know. You guys remember that? Yeah. Enemy was all over the place, okay? And I was, I just remember sitting in my chair in my room and being like, I am the best fifth grader ever because I don't have an enemy, not a single one. Never had an enemy. I don't have that much hate in my heart for anyone. But come to find out, I looked it up this week. An enemy is anyone who opposes your personal will. Therefore, we all have an enemy. You should write that down. An enemy is anyone who opposes your personal will. The dictionary definition says enemy, a noun, a person who is actively opposed to someone or something. The Latin root enemy, which 
Sounds like the same. It's using eyes. You can't see that, but it's I in, I am, I. In me, it can be translated to bad friend. Like, that's just what it means. It says the most often emotions associated with the enemy and enemy include anger, frustration, envy, jealousy, fear, distrust, and possibly grudging respect. So from this point of view, though possibly dramatic, we all have someone who would be considered an enemy in our lives. Because we've all had a bad friend. We've all had someone who causes us frustration, who gives us reasons for distrust, who makes us mad. We've all experienced relationships where someone has said something or done something that hurts us or that makes us upset. And a lot of times we experience a distancing from them, whether it's like an emotional distancing or a physical distancing, and we just choose not to see them or be around them anymore. Whether it was warranted or not, this is an experience that we feel when talking about our enemies or when having distrust or anger towards a friend. Um, And Jesus had a lot of people in his life fall into this category. Lots of enemies. He was abandoned, betrayed, lied to, disrespected, ignored. People hated him, like deeply hated him, and he was perfect. So I assume that all of us have at least one person in our life that either they think we are their enemy or we think that they are our enemy. There are many stories that can give us a glimpse into this part of Jesus' love. But the one that the Holy Spirit was showing me this week is a time where, again, the convenience of Jesus' personal will was set aside for the accomplishing of God's eternal will. So let's remember, God's will and Jesus' will went hand in hand only because Jesus was submitted to the Father. He had his own will. He was perfect and he never sinned, but he had his own free will. And that's what makes him able to atone for our sins. But he was only able to act in God's will 24-7 all the time because he was submitted to him. And because he set aside his will for the will of God. So if we jump over to John chapter 6, it's just a few chapters later from the previous story. And a lot has happened in between the two chapters. Jesus returned to Galilee. He heals an official's son. He gets into a bit of a tiff with the Pharisees over miracles on the Sabbath. He gives us that example that we read of only doing what the Father says. He gives language to the 12 disciples about their mission. And then this is crazy. King Herod kills his good friend, John the Baptist, and requests his head on a platter for a birthday gift from his daughter. Weird. And now we're here in John chapter 6. And let me just emphasize that this is Jesus's real life, okay? This is not like a Netflix show or your favorite series or a book. I know there's a lot of readers in this room. This, this, is, this is the book. This is not a book. Like this is the life of Jesus, his real life, where he experiences argumentative people and murderers in two sentences. Like this is the life he lived, and yet he calls us to love our enemies, Um, Jesus had just received the news of John the Baptist, and he's obviously feeling grief and sadness and all the emotions that come with losing a loved one. Well, let's read and see what happens. It's John 6. We're going to start at verse 1 and skip around a bit. It says, After this, Jesus went to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, also called the Sea of Tiberias. A large crowd kept following him because they saw the signs that he was doing for the sick. Jesus went up to the mountain and sat down there with his disciples. 
The Passover, the festival of the Jews, was near. And when he looked up and saw a large crowd coming toward him, toward him, Jesus said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread for these people to eat? He said this to test him, for he himself knew what he was doing. LOL. Then it says, Jesus said, Make the people sit down. So sweet. Now there was a great deal of grass in the place, so they sat down, about 5,000 in all. And then Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. So also the fish, as much as they wanted. When they were satisfied, he told his disciples, gather up the fragments left over so that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up from the fragments of the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. They had filled 12 baskets. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they began to say, this is indeed the prophet who has come into the world. Now, the people in this category, we are going to categorize them as enemies. Not because they're bad, not because they hate Jesus, but because they could be causing a possible annoyance to Jesus because they are opposing his personal will. Like we talked about, that's the definition of an enemy, someone who opposes your personal will. And I think that this category of enemy is the person that we come into contact with the most. And so we're going we're gonna to do a little, a little quiz real fast. Close your eyes, everyone. If you don't close them, I can see you. So close them. Close them. Okay. I want you to think of someone that you would consider a friend that you love, but you're like, oh, they get under my skin. They're a little bit annoying. Okay. Got it? Everyone got it? Everyone got it? Okay. Open your eyes. Look at me. That's the person that we are referring to, okay? That's the person that bothers us. That's the person that gets under your skin, that you love them, that you probably see them once a week, twice a week, maybe single every day, maybe every single day. That's the person that I'm referring to. It's the person that you claim to be in relationship with, but probably tend to not share this unity and togetherness that we're talking about like you share with your best friend who you find it a joy to be around 24-7. And so Jesus, in this scenario, he had just found out some really sad news. Like his friend, someone that he dearly loved, the man that baptized him, that's a big deal. The man that baptized Jesus has like killed, he's gone, he's dead. And Jesus finds out of this. And so he gathers his disciples and he's like, let's go to the mountain. Let's get away. A couple other books of the gospel, different translations, some of them put in there, they say that Jesus was, was getting away. Like he was going for solitude. He was going to have some peace and he was encouraging his disciples to do the same. And so picture, you're having a sad day. You're having a bad day. You got some bad news and you're walking to the mountain to get away by yourself and you peek over the hill and there's 5,000 people coming for you. And they're like, Jesus, we would like to be with you Um, because he's a joy to be around. But Jesus doesn't turn them away. Jesus doesn't have them go somewhere else because his circumstances aren't lining up um, like he he would possibly want for someone of a group of 5,000 to come and sit with him. Because in this moment, the assignment of Jesus was not to go away and to be in solitude, but it was the personal, it was the will of the Father. Like the assignment of Jesus was to feed the 5,000. That's the same story that we just read. The assignment of Jesus was to sit with people and share a meal with them and talk to them. And for them to say, look, I see him. That must be the Messiah. In John 5.19, remember it says that Jesus came to do the will of the Father and not his own. So he sees these people coming up from the hill to be with him. And he puts on compassion because he says that the people are like sheep with no shepherd. 
He doesn't get angry. He doesn't turn them away because his circumstances are not set up for a moment to share love with them. I think that's something we experience a lot. Like, my circumstances are not set up. Like, this isn't the perfect scenario to stop and share the love of my father with people. But he tunes in to the father and he gains compassion. I want us to all imagine that. Like, imagine a day that you've had whenever your experience of the day isn't going 100%. Like, it's, it's not the best day that you could have imagined. And maybe you're in the grocery store and you're like, I got to get in. I got to get out. I got to look at my stuff that I need to buy. I got to go to self-checkout. There will be no talking to people for me today. I'm going to sit in this aisle. And, like, the Lord is telling you, hey, there's someone over there. Just go by them and give them a smile. Like, that's, that's all I want you to do. This is my will in the moment. And you, acting in your personal will, go, my circumstances aren't good for that right now. Like, I, I can't share the love of God with this difficult person right now. I can't do that. But Jesus, 5,000 people come for him. 5,000 people. I'm sure that won't happen to you. 5,000 people come up when he's, like, having a bad day and he's trying to get away. But he tunes in the Father. And this is the Father's will for his life at this moment. And so this is what he chooses to do because he only does what the Father does. If you're living with Jesus inside of your heart, with the joy of the Lord inside of you, there is probably going to be many times when your circumstances don't make you feel like it's a perfect day to share the love of God. But the love of God can't be like held up inside of you and people notice when it comes out. I know for me, there's a lot of times when I go into a social setting and I'm like, I'm tired, I'm just going to just going to stand in the corner by myself. And inevitably, someone comes up to me and tells me their entire life story. If this has been you, I loved every second of it. It was a great story. But this always happens to me. And I'm like, why does this always happen to me? Like, do I look like someone that people are just, yes, them. They need to know every detail of my life. Well, apparently I do because the love of God is inside of me. And it comes out of you in ways that you don't even know. And people notice it in you just like they notice here that Jesus is, is doing the will of God. They notice here that Jesus is the Messiah. They notice that he's healing people and they want to be close to him. I know that I have friends in my life who I want to be extra close to because I'm like, they, they just explode with the love of God. They just explode with it. And I want to get close to them and I want to hear what they have to say. And I want to like cling to them. Like how these people were to Jesus, I want to be like that with these friends that I have. And so this is not even just for unbelievers. I'm thinking of like siblings. Like how many of you have younger siblings that you get home from school and you're like, shut the door to my room. I, I don't want to talk to them. I can't be bothered. And they're like, I just want to be close to you. You know, they just want to get close to you. They just want to hear what you have to say. And every moment like this is an opportunity to share with them the love of God. And to let the love of God come explode out of you. I see so many of you laughing. You're like, yes, that's me. I'm so glad because you're going to go home and you're going to share with them the love of God. The call here is to give people Jesus in inconvenient times. Not just when it's convenient to me, but when nothing is convenient about giving people the love of God here. And yet still I tune into my father, I hear what he says, and I do it. Can we let the Holy Spirit interrupt us to share him with others? I think most of us have this like theme of our life and this eternal desire and it is that we want to see revival and we want to see the lost be saved and we want to help people know God and we say this and we try to live it and we're like this is my desire for my life but then our momentary desires contradict this and we let that one not give way to the other but trump it 
And so therefore, that desire that we're saying, like, this is my desire, to see people saved and to help everyone know the love of God. Well, it gets taken over by our momentary desire because we're not submitting it. We're not submitting our desires to our eternal desire. And so really, we can't say that that is the overall theme of our life, and we can't say that that is the desire we had. What was Jesus' desire? He says, I want them to be with me where I am. And ultimately, that was God's desire. He wants us to be with him where he is. And so this is one of those forks in the road. And he had to survey what the Father's will was. And he had to compare it to his own will of wanting to be alone. And he had to choose his Father's will over his momentary desire. And the result of this is that 5,000 people, again, that probably won't happen to you. So I know you got it with one people, one person. But 5,000 people come and sit on the grass and they share food with him after he just performs an insane miracle. And they sit with him and they talk to him and listen to what he has to say. And the product of that, similar to the last, was that when the people saw the sign that he had done, they began to say, this is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. And yes, this was the physical Jesus standing before them. But this could also be said about us because he lives inside of us because we are now the skin in the game. We are now the representation of Jesus on earth in real time. And so through our relationships with loving people that are opposing our personal will, that can be seen as an enemy to our personal desire, that we have to go out of our way, that we have to give them extra time and space to love, they can look at us and they can say, I see him. That's him. That's the one that came into the world. That's Jesus inside of them. And I pray that that is just me. Like, don't you want that in your life? That when people, they come into contact with you and they, they look at you, a random person in the grocery store shares a quick combo with you. Don't you want them to leave going, that was Jesus. Like, I know that that was him. I do. The last portion tonight, number three, our third story, I titled it, Get Lowest. Bless those who curse you and pray for those who abuse you. Really, this is what it all comes down to. In this, if we can get this part, we will be able to live out of an abundance of mercy and love. And we will be able to view everyone as a person deserving of the love of God. Turn with me to Luke chapter 23. And then if you have a personal Bible, bookmark that. And then go back to the teaching text. It's in Luke chapter 6, starting in verse 27. Luke 6, 27, it says, But I say to you who are listening, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, and pray for those who abuse you. Sadly, some of us have experienced a level of abuse, and deep hurt in our lives already. If you haven't yet come like face to face with the pains of either a broken relationship or betrayal or mistreatment from a bully or some type of hurt like this, chances are that you will in the future. Because God doesn't promise us perfect, easy lives, but he does promise us lives that are attached to him and Dietrich Bonhoeffer says that lives attached to him cannot suffer because to truly suffer is to be without Christ. This isn't in my notes, but I just want to touch on this for a second. I feel like a lot of people that leave the faith or that are struggling to come into the faith and to be really sold out for the Lord, they struggle with this thought of like, if God is good, then why do bad things happen to good people? 
And this is it right here. Because loving God isn't promising you a perfect life. Loving God isn't promising you a life that is just fairies and butterflies and where nothing bad happens to you. And if you think that that is the reality of a relationship with God, you're going to leave that relationship because that's not going to happen. And you're going to wonder and you're going to go, well, he must not be who he said he was, but he didn't ever say that. He said that we will have troubles, but what we can have confidence in is that we can't suffer because to suffer is to be apart from the Lord. To truly suffer is to be disconnected from him fully and not to ever experience his love. And so I just want to encourage you with that. We can't suffer. We are in Christ. We are rooted in him. But we can be pained and we can be hurt and we can be betrayed and we can be abused and mistreated. And the cursors and abusers are called into question in this verse. And God says, love them, bless them, pray for them. The commentary under this verse in my Bible says, getting to the point of praying for the abuser, having mercy on them, visiting them in prison, or bringing them a gift to express your love and forgiveness is something else. This is where Jesus is telling us to go. This is loving an enemy. This is turning the other cheek. This is Christianity. It is not an easy thing to do, but following Christ has never been an easy thing to do. It makes us free, but freedom has always been an expensive thing. This kind of love is costly, and it's hard to choose, but the strength to choose this kind of love on a daily basis, it doesn't come from something we create in ourselves, but it comes from the fact that there's someone who chose this love for us first, and that's Jesus. He chose to see us in this way. You can now turn to Luke 23, 34, and here we have arrived at the scene of Jesus' crucifixion. He's being taken to the cross with two others in a crowd of mocking, abusing, betraying, and beating friends and foes alike. The people are dragging him to the cross. They're spitting on him. They're ripping out his hair. His disciples are betraying him. The people who were meant to love him are leaving his side. And here's what it says in Luke 6, 32. Two others also who were criminals were led away to be put to death with him. When they came to the place that is called the skull, they crucified Jesus there with the criminals, one on the right and one on the left. Then Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they are doing. Here we see Jesus on the cross, and he's facing the weight of every kind of sin and abuse ever imagined, fully acquainted fully acquainted with you and I in this moment. It's from the smallest sting of jealousy to the largest act of abuse and hurt. And he prays to the Father and he blesses his abusers with forgiveness. When we read this, it would be easy to view this text as a stab at those who are hurting him in the moment. Like the people that are present there and that are throwing things at him, that are stabbing him with the crown of of thorns, that are lashing him, the people that are betraying him in this very moment. But this scripture is so much more than that because he's speaking to anyone of the past and anyone of the future who would ever separate themselves from God. And so this includes us. This moment when he says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they are doing. He's saying that for you and I as well commentary says the prayer is a necessary redemption for persons far beyond the foot of the cross 
Many times in each generation, Jesus is mocked, detested, and cursed. And even his disciples ignore his words, disobey his commands, and remain indifferent to his fate as they take the cup and break the bread. There are days and nights in a lifetime when nails jingle in our pockets and mallets swing from our belt. This prayer is not only about Jews or Romans. It is about us. The band can come up. The ultimate act of a relational pursuit with people who abuse and detest and anger and mock and slander and lie and mistreat is Jesus pursuing us. It's Jesus hanging on a cross and being crushed for the weight of our sin and saying, Father, forgive them. It's Jesus praying for us. It's Jesus blessing us with the greatest forgiveness and relationship of all time. And I know you might be thinking, like, you don't know my circumstance. You don't, you don't know the person that I've been hurt by. You don't know the person that I'm thinking of in this moment. But what I do know is that no matter how severe and complicated and painful any type of experience you had was, that this doesn't even compare. Like Jesus on the cross doesn't even compare. And he says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they're doing. He prays for us, and he blesses us in this moment. I experienced a revelation from God about some people in my life. I think it was like a year and a half, maybe two years ago. But for these people, I was hosting some unforgiveness and bitterness and anger towards, and I didn't even realize it. Um, I was in a prayer service, and I was sitting somewhere over there in that corner, and I just was not even planning on praying for anything specific on this day. I was like, woo, prayer service, we're going to get some joy. And the Holy Spirit said to me, hey, pray for your abusers. I was like, we're not going to get some joy today. Anyway, so I was obedient to the Father, reluctantly, but I was. And I set out on a journey to start praying for these people on a daily basis. I was like, okay, I'm going to do it. And I'm going to pray for these people until I'm like glad to be praying for them. I was praying for these people who had deeply hurt me. And I went about this journey. I spent several weeks like so sad just sad about circumstances of my life that had happened. I remember sitting in the green room and talking to my best friend and being like, I just can't believe that all of this happened. Like, I just can't believe that this is how my life went. I just can't believe that this is how these people had treated me. And if I'm being honest, I was really upset at God. And I found myself in this moment where I was like, Lord, why? Why would I be praying for them? Because when I focused on this issue and when I focused on praying for these people, it just, all the feelings of the past started to well up inside of me and all the anger and every memory of mistreatment and every moment that had caused me to feel pain about these people that I had pushed down for years and years, it like, woof, all came up. And for two weeks, I was like, I'm like sad about this. And I remember vividly saying to God, I was like, Lord, you're breaking my heart. Like, why would I pray for these people? This is hurting me. And I should have known because he's loving and he's good that it wouldn't end like this and that he wasn't breaking my heart in the sense that he wanted me to be sad, but he was trying to break it for something else. And so as I kept being obedient to God and praying for them, I began to see over time, slowly but surely, that my heart went from cold and shut off and to where I was not pursuing any sort of relationship with these people at all. Like I was distancing myself as far away as possible on every level. And as I kept praying, I got to a place where I was extremely sad and I was hurt and I was remembering everything that I didn't want to remember. And then I began to see 
because I started to have a heart that was soft and malleable and it was understanding and it was broken. But now it wasn't broken in a way that broke for my own cause, but it was broken in a way that I could see that these people were living without God on a daily basis, that they were experiencing that true suffering like a life detached from the presence of the Lord, a life detached from even knowing that there is someone who loves them, they were experiencing suffering because they were experiencing life without God. They were walking with no contact in his love. And I'm not saying that this made it all make sense or that this made anything okay that had happened, but I'm saying that the Lord was giving me clarity and he was giving me a heart for these people who were also his children and who are also ones that he hung on the cross for and said, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. And now when you deal with people that you have some sort of relationship with that have hurt you deeply, sometimes it's good to set up out of love, to set up boundaries, to make sure that those type of things don't happen again. And so I'm not saying that forgiveness equals best friends, but I am saying that from a distance, you can pray for them and you can pray blessings over their life, just as the Lord did for us. Like he was at a distance, he was on the cross. We don't, we, we were not there, we weren't even born yet. But from a distance, he, he saw us, we were the joy set before us and he said, Father, forgive them. He prayed for us and he blessed us. And the truth of all of this, is that when I'm talking about these people that I've hurt me, or I'm talking about the people that have annoyed me in the past, or I'm talking about the people that are out of my way that I don't relate to, this, this is you and me without Jesus. We are the lovesick, we're the brokenhearted, we're the mad, abusing people of the world without Jesus. And the Lord says that while we were still in, his, in our sin, he loved us. While we were still hurting him, he had compassion and mercy for us, so much so, that he blessed us with ultimate forgiveness and ultimate relationship by going to the cross. Every relationship with every type of difficult person on the scale from annoying to abusing boils down to the fact that for Jesus, this is you and me. And in the view of his mercy, we get to look at the people in our lives and in our surroundings and we get to view everyone as a collective human race who is found level at the foot of the cross, who's found equal who Jesus laid their eyes on the same as he lays his eyes on you and I. G.K. Chesterton says that with this understanding, such love would transform the world. The trouble is that this kind of Christianity has never been tried. The only way we can present a love that is transformative to our relationships in our entire world is if we are constantly brought back to Jesus in the mercy and love that he lavishly poured on us as sinful people. Romans 12.1 tells us this. It says, in view of God's mercy, present yourself as a living sacrifice to the Lord. So we can say, I don't relate to this person. I can't show them the love of God. I can't go out of my way to meet them in their needs. And the word says, in view of God's mercy, you can present yourself. We say, I can't have a godly relationship with people who are getting on my nerves, people who are never leaving me alone, with people that I try to avoid. I can't, I can't do that. And the word says, in view of God's mercy, present yourself. We say, my abusers and my bullies are not deserving of my love or my time or my attention or my prayers or my blessings. And the word of the Lord says that in view of God's mercy, present yourself, present your time, your attention, your words, your affection, your heart, your mind. Present yourself as a living sacrifice to the Lord. And what do living sacrifices to the Lord do? They look at the Father and they say, I only do what you do. 
I only say what you say. I'm submitted to you in order to love everyone equally, to share my love with people that are across the way that, that I don't share commonalities with, people that have hurt me, people that have wronged me, people that annoy me. I am a living sacrifice to the Lord. Therefore, I love them. And it's not because of what we have to offer, but it's because of what Jesus did for me on the cross. The mercy that has transformed my life, the mercy that sustains my every breath, the mercy that is living inside of me for the sake of love. Jesus went to the cross so that we could love him and so that he could love us. And it's not because we loved God first, but it's because he loved us. It's because we've been redeemed. It's because he saved our lives from the pit. It's because he lifted us up and loved us while we were still in sin. And in view of this, I freely give the gift of Christ with no expectation of credit or return because I too am undeserving. No expectation of a thank you. No expectation of people witnessing this. Like, can we practice secrecy? Can we do things for people without telling anyone? Can we love someone and share the love of God with someone without boasting about it? Not because not because we have things to offer, but because the Lord inside of us has things to offer. Let's stand to our feet as I close tonight. Um, the leader team, prayer team, you guys can make your way down. We are gonna finish tonight by reminding ourselves what Jesus says in the teaching text. And as we read this, I want you to just ask the Holy Spirit to come and reveal to you any areas where you're choosing to reserve his love, where you're holding on to bitterness, where you're staying comfortable. Like it could just be that you see this person at school every day sitting by themselves at lunch and you're like, that's, that's so uncomfortable to go talk to them. Ask the Lord, where do, where do I need to show your love more? Where do I need to be in unity with the people around me? And if you feel the spirit revealing something to you, just come down to the altar. Like, even if you're like, I can pray about this by myself. I struggle with that. I am like, I'm talking to God. It's the same no matter what. But there is something special about sharing in with someone else and confessing to them like, hey, I'm struggling with this and them just being able to pray with you about it. So come down to the altar and just let's lay it before the Lord. Let's be held accountable to continue loving others. And so before we read, I'm gonna pray over us. I'm gonna pray over the altars and then I'm gonna read the text. We're gonna soak it in together. We're gonna ask the Lord to be with us and then the altars will be open and you guys can come down. You can respond in worship, whatever you feel. Okay, Lord, I just ask that in this moment, you would just come and be a loud voice to us, Lord, that we would be able to look at you through this text, that we would be able to look at you through the words and we'd be able to say, Father, I wanna do what you wanna do. I wanna say what you want me to say. And so come reveal to us, Lord, in any place where we are reserving your love, whether it be an extreme circumstance or the smallest of circumstance, Lord, whether it be jealousy or abuse, whatever it is, Lord, I just pray that we would just be able to come under your love tonight. We'd be able to view your mercy, Lord. And in view of that, we would be able to lend love to others with expecting nothing in return, God. We love you, Lord. Okay, let's read. Luke 6, 27. But I say to you who are listening, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you, if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. 
If you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. If you do good to those from whom you hope to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to receive as much again. But love your enemies. Do good and lend, expecting nothing in return. Your reward will be great, and you will be children of the Most High. For he is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful.